This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today is our draft and prospect episode. That means that after a little bit of news, we're going to be talking to Nick Miriam and then Owen McCuller about the rookies that we've got going right now. And, of course, some 2023 prospects as the college football season heats up. Before that good stuff, we have to talk about some news. I feel like, you know... For a Thursday, this is a pretty hefty news day. It's kind of a lot of stuff happening. So I have with me, as always, Julius to break things down. How are you doing today? All is well. How about yourself? I'm better than yesterday. I'm doing well. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little bit less insanity uh, on my front. So I'm excited to just hash out some NFL news. Um, I mean, with the hurricane coming, I know there is some stuff related to that. There's some drama with everybody's favorite team mm-hmm. to hate up in New England. So we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> talk about it all. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we'll kick it off with some hurricane news, I guess you could say. So the Bucks and Chiefs, they will be playing in Minnesota if the teams relocate for their game. The game is scheduled to be in Tampa, but as we mentioned with the hurricane And the storms down there, it is unlikely for that to happen depending on the weather and the damage done in the area. And Minnesota will be available because they will be on the road. And I'm pretty sure they're in London, if that's if I recall correct. They will be in London, the Vikings. So Minnesota will be open for a Bucks and Chiefs game. Yeah, that that makes sense. So obviously, thoughts and prayers to everybody in Florida. Our own Brian McLaughlin is there right now. Got a couple of writers down there right now. I think I think it's pretty crazy. Um I think there's going to be some pretty substantial damage, especially in the Fort Myers area, which is not, it's, it's, it's close. It's, I think mm-hmm. it's barely an hour away. If that I've driven, I've made the drive from Fort Myers to Tampa before. So, so yeah, man, um, it's, it's, it's wild out there, but the NFL always has a backup plan. Of course. Yeah. It's glad that they're all prepared and hope everyone down there is safe and prayers up to them. We mentioned Joey Bosa briefly yesterday about being day-to-day, but he will have surgery on the groin that he injured and will officially be placed on the injury reserve. This occurs after, as I mentioned before, he was listed week-to-week. So we get the news about Rashawn Slater, and now we have Joey Bosa going down on the IR. So some some big losses for the Chargers. Seriously, I mean, they went into the season with injuries to J.C. Jackson. Now you got these two, and I feel like, you know, this I think this is just one of those moments where I'm not saying the season is lost, but it's more than obvious that their their powerhouse run that was kind of projected just based on all the players that they accumulated is kind of not to be. You know, I think they have every opportunity to be a, a solid team that might make the playoffs in a wild card spot, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see, you know, if Justin Herbert can elevate everybody else, but of course he's injured right now too, so... It's 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 tough, man. It's tough for Chargers fans who are probably feeling so good. It's, it's kind of just feels like yeah. one thing after another, man. Yeah, I know. It, that was a team I was really looking forward to watch seeing play. You know, we all the hype, you know, around Herbert Eckler, and then they made the 
additions on defense over the offseason and now just seeing two star players go down for multiple weeks including Slater for the whole year you know it's it's tough to see but moving to some good news for your Jets and I think you know exactly where I'm going with this Zach Wilson is medically cleared and is expected to start Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah I I suspect that he was probably technically ready to go before that but I think that they just wanted to, to 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 play it slowly. So it's good. I think you know, it's never a good idea to rush a young player back who's, you know, coming off some down games trying to prove something, maybe tries to push something a little too hard. I think you have to take all that stuff into account and not just the the straight up you are cleared to play medically because I think that there are some guys where you would take the exact same injury diagnosis, the exact same situation and you'd say, we're comfortable having you go in the game because you know how to handle yourself versus a young guy where you're not. So it's definitely good to have him back. I think going to go up, going up against the Steelers, um, they have some injuries of their own. So I think the defense is a little bit you know, less intense than we thought maybe in the first couple of weeks. But it's still going to be a major test for them. I, I'm grateful, though. I don't want to see Flacco <laughs> out there again. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So Jets fans get a little little sign of good news for them. Jameis Winston, however, was held out of practice on Wednesday, but he should be good to go for Thursday's practice. He's dealing with a back and ankle issue, and Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry were also held out, and there's no status if they'll be ready for Thursday, but all are expected to be good for Sunday, but like I said, I think Jameis is most likely to be the, the most okay right now. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's tough to to know so far away. I think mm-hmm. it's something to monitor. But um, they're an older team; they are, and so anytime you're an older team, you you do run the risk of injuries a little bit more. I think I think when you're an older team, it's not necessarily not necessary. I'm gonna start that over. Well, they are an older team, and I think that anytime you have that, you tend to deal with nagging injuries more. Not necessarily season-ending injuries more, but the stuff that keeps you out of practice week to week. And I think a lot of times those guys end up playing. So, I mean, it's something to keep an eye on, but at this point, I'm guessing that all those guys are good to go. Absolutely. So let's hopefully, you know, they're already good to go and everyone's healthy over there. The Buffalo Bills signed Xavier Rhodes to their practice squad. A little throwback name for you. The corner visited the Bills Tuesday. He played the last two years for the Colts and, of course, spent seven years with the Minnesota Vikings where he was, you know, a multi-pro bowler. And now he's got a new journey with Buffalo. Yeah, I wonder what their thoughts for him are because he he had up and down years with the Colts past couple. And then I guess he wasn't with anybody for a little while. But look, that's what happens. I mean, attrition. You can be the best, most complete team in the NFL, and the next thing you know, you've you're you're missing basically three all pro level players in your secondary. That's hard to overcome. I mean, Trey Davis White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, mm-hmm. all those guys. Oh, and I think Dane Jackson, I'm not sure what if he's still I think he's still out for a while too. So I think it's so kinda as well. everybody. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough losses. So I guess you know, just got to fill them out, and you know, why not get some experience? Some guy who you know who, who mm-hmm. dominated at the position at one point, and like, in, as you mentioned before, how a team can you know be so Super Bowl favorites, and then all of a sudden, 
lose some key impact players and, you know, you got to go out to the free agent market and, and replace these guys. Yeah, for sure. I think he's a, at worst, he does help stabilize the veteran presence in the locker room, I think. I definitely think that's what it's for. Some Dallas Cowboy news. Dak Prescott is dealing with swelling in his thumb. I don't know if you heard, but he got the stitches out earlier this week. There's no timeline for him to start throwing, but since he's gotten the stitches off, there's a little swelling that's still developing in that thumb. And so week four, you know, they were trying to rush it. We talked about that a little bit. Week four is most likely out the door. They're going to look for week five or week six. Well, I think it was always unrealistic to hope for that time frame, but absolutely. I think the fact that they are in a situation that they're in with Cooper Rush does make you feel a little bit better about it. You know what I just want to say to that, though? Could you imagine, can you imagine being the Dallas Cowboys quarterback and having national media report on if your thumb is swollen? Just think about that for a second. Just think about being home and, and you know, clicking the, the remote with your thumb, mm-hmm. being like, ah. And then you'd be like, oh, man, now it's going to be more swollen tomorrow. And everyone from Washington to New York State is going to know that my thumb is slightly more irritated tomorrow than it just was be- today. Just because it's I didn't see the remote. <laughs> yeah, not to mention, you know, this guy's got, I hate to say this as a Cowboys fan, this guy's got more commercials than super uh, playoff wins. So... um <laughs> It's just amazing. Yeah, a significant amount. I I was just trying to play that nice. Him and Baker Mayfield. (laughs) I mean, those guys are always on TV. But, um, yeah, it's just crazy how just for the fact swelling is basically breaking news for for this situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's more just for the fact of, like, Dallas was trying to rush him back. They were like, oh, we can get him by the time we play the Rams or the Eagles. And, on it, like, honestly, I just don't see how it's possible. But, again, like, you know, these guys are professionals. You, You never know what they can do. Yeah, well, I I think it would be fairly true with any starting quarterback, but it's just more so with Dallas. Mm-hmm. This one I think you'd find funny. So Bill Belichick had a press conference after today's practice, and he emphasizes Mac Jones is day-to-day. He said this 12 times. I had to put that out. The exact amount was 12 times and is a day-to-day. According to him, he said it 12 times. <laughs> so I think, oh we get, yeah, I think we get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so funny because there there's there's a legitimate word out there that Mac Jones wants to slow play it make sure that he's not rushed back think about his career long term and they're trying to get him back quickly like that is i mean we we've talked about injury issues we've talked about teams pushing players to come back before you know what i mean we have it, it's it's Something that that I know some players have had issues with. I know that there was a player on the Jets, um, a Kalecchi Osemele. He basically had a... I forget. What's the word I'm looking for? Let me think about what I'm trying to say. What's the... Um, uh, a grievance. Injury grievance. Okay. Yeah, so this is this is this is crazy because I've heard of players having disputes with teams before over injuries. Um, I know that there was a Jets player a couple years ago, Kalecchi Osemele, who filed a, a grievance against the team uh, with the NFLPA because they tried to make him come back and he the, he wanted to get a surgery and 
and I think they released him or something like that. And so not a it's it, it's not all the time that the player and the team see the injury similarly, but usually for a starting quarterback, like they are on the same page with this kind of stuff. Usually, I I don't I am trying to remember ever. I mean, in my in my recollection, somebody should point out if there's another a situation like this. But usually, it's the coaching staff having to say something like, you know, he's not going to be ready for a little while. And then the player's like, yeah, if you're really good, I'll be ready to go or something like that. And being a little bit over-optimistic. I can't remember a time ever where the team was actively trying to get a starting quarterback to play who didn't want to play like who wanted to take more time it, it, it's it's weird it is kind of bizarre honestly too another thing is i think this is new england hitting the panic button deep down maybe i think so it deep might down. be deep it's, down it hasn't been good for them so far that's what i'm saying i mean you got the dolphins best team in football as of right now keyword right now um and then of course the bills are in that division and it's it's tough to have three teams in one and you know one division make the playoffs so i think this is new new england for the first time in how long hitting a panic button just just under undercovers you know well it does indicate that mac jones is not particularly happy right because yeah if he believed if he was bought in on the program he would probably take the doctor's recommendation to get and again, this is all speculation about who recommended what, but a lot of times, you know, with this reporting, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So if there's reporting yeah. that says the team wants him, is is interested in getting having him get the tightrope surgery, and he's wanting to slow play it, then that's probably accurate. I don't think that comes from nowhere. So, yeah, Absolutely. it's uh, it's it's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Last piece of news I got for you. Just a, a little shout out to these players winning players of the week. Trevor Lawrence, Cordell Patterson, offensive players of the week in the AFC and the NFC, as well as Trey Hendrickson and Brandon Graham winning defensive in the AFC and NFC for week three. Yeah. Uh, so Kyron and I talked about Trevor Lawrence as our performance or his performance of the week, I should say. Um, and uh, so we talked about that. Um, Trey Hendrickson, absolutely abused the Jets left tackle so that that game was not particularly fun to watch um, the Jets offense could do nothing so those are the two that that stood out to me but yeah man I, this is cool we should probably hit on players of the week every single week so I think that's, I think it's that's a nice a little call. shout out just to recognize some good news because you know usually during this time we're always talking about injuries or someone you mm -hmm. know doing something stupid off the field I feel like we can touch <laughs> on some good news and I don't know if you saw Brandon Graham's game, but he basically filled up the entire stat sheet, it seemed like. No, nah, I, I didn't was, really watch that one as close. I didn't I either when distance, I was just scrolling through. I just saw it and I was like, fumble recovery, a bunch of hand, like couple tackles for loss, a few sacks. I was like, this guy did it all tonight. So, you know, props yeah, to him um, with the Eagles. Carson They're off to Wentz. a good start. <laughs> yeah, <Wentz>. that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's I'll it. I'll just say that. That's um, it. Yeah. All right. That cool, man. Thanks for joining and going over the of news course. with me today. Or maybe we should just call it NFL drama. Like that's because that's a good it's like, little, <laughs> especially during this the, time of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's no like good news. When, when we get to the off season, the news is good. We get, we get to, you know, big trades, we get to big signings, big mm -hmm. additions, draft and stuff like that. But right now it's like, I feel like I'm on Fox news or something like that. Yeah. Or just, <laughs> it's always usually just whatever's going on and usually not good things. Yeah. All right, man. We will see you again tomorrow. Thanks again. And have, oh, 
course, please tell everybody where they can find <laughs> you. You know, if they can't wait for a day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like they can't wait till tomorrow's show. So if you wanted to, anyways, you can find me on Twitter, gotjuice44. Gotjuice44 on Twitter. You can find me on greatironheroics.com for my appearances on the show, as well as my articles. You can just look up my name in the search bar, as well as on Facebook, Julius Lux. All right, beautiful. Now we're going to jump into some rookie talk with Nick Miriam. Awesome. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select. Oh, listen, thank you. All right, we are here to talk about rookies. We're talking about NFL rookies, guys that we scouted this past year. We're talking about how they have assimilated to the NFL, I guess we'll put it that way. And to do that, we, of course, have Nick Miriam. How are you doing today, Nick? Let me be honest with you. It's been a rough week um, <laughs> being a commander's faithful. This has been tough. Um, and I really don't – I'm not overreacting over here. I don't, I'm not going to go on a whole Washington rant because I think the Eagles are really good. <laughs> but, you know, it feels like I'm always predicting this team to win eight, win eight games, and the fan base is either – in season expecting them to win 12 or three and so i just stick where i am and i'm always off base with everyone else i guess i don't know oh well i'm always off base too so i'm often predicting the jets to win like you know seven games or something like that even when i know they're not going to be that good just because you know it you have to be pretty bad to go notably under right yeah yeah and the fan base is always expecting either you know 10 or two but usually I'm the one that's wrong. Over the past few years, the Jets have been winning like two games. So I feel you, trust me. And yeah, like anytime you see your quarterback get beat up like that, it's it can be very discouraging, no doubt about it. Um, now, I just want to throw out to everybody that Nick is going to be our lead draft analyst. So you can see written work from him, from Owen on the site coming up here soon. And again, we are going to be having full-fledged draft episodes Every single Thursday. As the season heats up, we know more about the prospects. We know more about the rookies. And it won't be long before we're talking about the teams that are going to be, you know, having high draft picks as well. So we're getting ahead of the curve on that one. Now, who do you want to highlight first this week as far as rookies go? Well, sticking with it, uh, Jordan Davis had himself a game uh, against the commanders albeit not great interior offensive line, but he was a force and didn't really play all that much. My concern for Davis coming out was that, yes, he's obviously, you know, a physical freak, um, run defender first, uh, and I was worried that in the league that's so pass-first dependent, that would, that, would be, that would matter, but, you know, it's become more important to have run defenders on the interior at, because you're rushing for, you're dropping too high most, most of the time against a lot of offenses, playing seven men back in coverage, sometimes eight, and you need to have specifically interior players who can win versus double teams against the run when teams run versus empty boxes. And that's what he's great at, and that's probably what boosted his value towards the draft season. But what I will say that I think I underestimated in my scouting report of Davis, and this is really tough because when you – scout players for a team you know what you're building right it's you're gonna have certain players rated differently because if you're the the eagles for example you know what receivers you're looking for for your system you know you know you want offensive linemen that can probably get out in space and pull because you're running the ball outside the hashes a lot you're good at that you know um if you're the chargers a lot of teams a team that a lot of people were mocking jordan davis to at pick 17 early this year 
and you take that guy, he somehow gets to 17. He's playing three tech, probably some zero and one for you every down, the whole game. He's your starting defensive tackle, whole game, and you're expecting this guy to be your pass rusher and your interior rusher. And one thing that I think we are underestimating now as the year gets on, this is get more valuable. I think you're going to see more teams doing this with team building, and it's hurting Washington right now. Teams need third interior players. They need third edge rushers. These guys get exhausted, and they get hurt because they're going up against almost always, except for Jordan Davis, bigger offensive linemen. <laughs> they're outnumbered. It's 4v5. And if they are playing 80% of snaps, like John Allen has had to do because of all these injuries, it's not good. You can't be doing that if you want your pass rush to be well-rested for when they need to pass rush, which is most of the time late in games when teams are forced to pass, right? This guy is not going to have to play every snap because the Eagles have Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox for now. They're probably going to go add more interior talent when he ends up uh, retiring or moving on because I think they're going to have to at some point. So Davis can kind of play, you know, one every three downs, be well-rested. And what we saw on 11 pass rush snaps is he was able to get four pressures. And that those four pressures on 11 pass rush snaps are more valuable than four on 25, obviously. Um, and he was well-rested. And this is a guy that we saw at Georgia play, you know, entire games, get gassed in second halves. He doesn't have to do that in Philadelphia. He can rest. He can take some time, get back revved up for the second half, and he will be a force for all four quarters of this team. And you saw that this week when the entire Eagles pass rush was dominating. And again, three edge rushers, Reddick, uh, they've got Sweat, and they've got Brandon Graham. And they got Derek Barnett. Although he might, is he injured? I don't even know. Yeah, he's hurt. Um, no. He's hurt. Okay, so they would have four if he was healthy. So think about that even more. The value of being able to rotate and keeping these guys energized is becoming so much more important in the NFL. And you're seeing this in Buffalo too, right? Rotation. And not only rotation, like guys that can play multiple spots. Basham and Russo are like big edge rushers. They can mm-hmm. play three tech. Ed Oliver probably can play some edge, right? This is the new thing, I think, that we're going to see is defensive lines that are versatile and rotate, and you have more than four guys you feel good about. You have seven, eight. Um, and Jordan Davis in a league where the league is moving in that direction becomes that much more valuable, and I think you saw that this weekend. 100%. And I think the the team that I am aware of doing this the earliest and really leading the way with this are the Chris Kasurik defensive lines of the 49ers. They were early with getting a bunch of guys who could move all around the line, that they could rotate in and out on a regular basis. And that was one of the foundations of that 2019 run to the Super Bowl. I mean, yes, Nick Bosa is obviously one of them, but everybody was criticizing them for taking defensive linemen high. Well, at that point, you ended up with Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, um, you know, uh, DJ Jones, and Nick Bosa as the starting group but they had a bunch of guys that they were rotating in there as well D Ford and so on so I think there have been a number of teams that have, that have led the way with that and, and we're seeing Buffalo jump on board with that the Jets have been working at, at building that now that Sal is there and I think they they pretty much have the crew to do that you know the other places are lacking but but absolutely and now this is kind of the the opportunity I think this is the first time we're seeing a, a team that's doing some more odd front stuff employ the same methodology right because now that they have um they have Hassan Reddick as kind of that stand-up edge rusher I think they've been doing more odd front to 
to go against the run, but heavy rotation to keep those guys fresh. So I think a lot of value there. I think what you said is is very accurate, and I think it's very interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do start to see some of those teams who do run the odd front stuff, whether it's the Chargers or the Rams, do that. Now, the Rams have been able to get away with it because Aaron Donald is an absolute freak show. So, like, he just can play all the time and be impactful all the time. But that won't be the case forever. So if they stick schematically with what they're doing, eventually they're going to have to to get deeper, I think. So interesting point there. So who else do you have? And just one more thing on that, because I know you're a salary cap guy. You'll appreciate this. Edge rushers get paid a lot. Like, they're mm-hmm. making a lot of money right now. Probably if we have a debate between corners and edge rushers, you could make the argument that edge players are overpaid because they're paid so much more than corners. There's gonna you're gonna see teams take third edge rushers because they're not gonna want to pay the guys they have on their rosters right now. I think this is something that's gonna happen with Washington because you're gonna probably pay Chase Young a lot of money at some point. You're not gonna pay Montez Sweat too, right? So mm-hmm. go get another edge rusher. And I think you're gonna see teams continue to to churn out those picks, especially as the talent mm-hmm. level. We talked about this before. The, I think you and I talked about this before the season even started about how they were they were strong up top but didn't have a lot of depth in Washington on yep. that defensive line and. Second drive of week one, Fedarian Mathis torn knee up out for season. It's hurt mm-hmm. them. It's been an issue. Yep. So that's a problem. Um, I'd rather be the Jets with three Quinn Williams than you know the Chiefs with just, well, Chris Jones is very good. But still, honestly, yeah. I think I'd rather have three Quinn Williams. Okay, moving on. And actually, that's a good segue because I had the Jets written down because I know we wanted to talk <laughs> about them last week and we didn't. The Jets are getting contributions from basically everybody they drafted. Um, Brees Hall, after a start that I thought was not great, has looked better the past couple weeks. Jermaine Johnson, mostly as a run defender, had his best week yet this weekend. Sauce Gardner continues to be solid. Garrett Wilson looking very good again. We talked about him last week. Uh, And maybe the most surprising one is Max Mitchell has stepped in and really been solid at tackle for them. A little review on him. This is a guy that tested pretty well, had really good grading at Louisiana, and then was just awful at the Senior Bowl. This looked like he could not play tackle in the NFL. And so a lot of people moved in the guard. Still goes fourth round. Good flyer by New York. Because now you got a guy who, if he looks solid early, which he does, probably means we should maybe not be thinking about the Senior Bowl all lot. This is a guy some people had marked as like a potential second-round pick before that. Mm-hmm. They might have gotten a steal here with him. Yeah, well, the Jets, I'll run through it here in a second. But Max Mitchell in particular... His biggest issue coming out of Louisiana, the uh, the Raging Cajuns there, was the strength and conditioning program and his ability to maintain anchor strength and size against you know SEC type talent against NFL type talent. But we all, I don't want to say we all, but I think the the belief was that he was probably going to be able to put on that muscle mass, that strength in the NFL. We just didn't know how quickly it would happen. Um, when you go into the senior bowl as a guy like that coming straight out of your final, final year of college, you're going up against seniors from the sec. You're going up. I mean, you're going up against Jermaine Johnson. Like that guy is built. You know what I mean? He played at Georgia, ended up at Florida state. So like that, that is not a good matchup for Max Mitchell before he has time to actually get into an NFL program. So it's faster than we expected. But I think if you knew specifically what his weakness was, it was something that you could absolutely foresee getting better. Now, I don't always use PFF. Um, I, I 
don't like to use it necessarily as a support of an argument or as a, a base of an argument, but as a support, I do. And I just want to say this after th- after week three, the Jets on the top 15 uh, uh, graded rookies at 15, Max Mitchell at 12, Sauce Gardner at let's see at eight, Garrett Wilson at to Jermaine Johnson. So like you said, they're getting notable contributions and that doesn't even include Brees Hall who I, I see it game by game watching. They are intentionally bringing him along slowly. They're using Michael Carter a lot in the quick pass game, but Brees Hall is making moves with the opportunities that he's given. I mean, I think in week two, he had seven yards per carry. Just nuts. And he didn't have any absurdly big, run to to skew those stats that's actually what he was doing so I think the Jets as a whole just have to be pointed out here in terms of their rookie contributions so um, anybody else in particular that you wanted to mention from them or you want to move on to somebody else with Brees Hall I just one thing I've been really pleasantly surprised well not surprised I kind of expected it but it's nice to see is one big thing I had in his notes is this looks like a guy at Iowa State that could be a very good pass catcher but mm-hmm. they do not use him that way, and they never did because Iowa State, you know, they're like Iowa. Like, we're just, okay, jumbo, <laughs> let's run it up the gut, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's win 9-6. to six. We're not throwing the ball. Um, the Jets have used him in the pass game, and he has looked like a good pass-catching back. Um, I don't know if he's quite Najee Harris, but he's 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 going to work for them out of the backfield. And I think it brings something to their offense that they haven't quite had. Because I think Michael Carter is a fine pass catcher, but Brees Hall in space is a very good athlete and is taking advantage of his opportunities. And it's going to help a guy like Zach Wilson when he gets back because there's a target that can give you plus plays out of the backfield when the the play breaks down. So Yeah, I I, I agree. His explosion, I think, is what makes the difference between him and Carter. Carter's shifty. He has good hands. He has very, very good contact balance, especially for his size. But he cannot take it to the house the same way that Brees Hall can. He can't just straight up, straight up outrun defenders, which Brees Hall can do. So if he gets more usage as the year goes on, which I 100% expect to happen, he will have a couple of big plays that will be game changers for them at some point. I, I, with the offseason they had with rookies, I do think their season is going to turn around. It's just it's tough to put all the pressure on those guys week one but we're already seeing you know the dividends that that's paying um and you know I talked about this with Matt Waldman before the the year started as well and he was talking about Brees Hall maybe not bringing something to the passing game and that's why he had a guy like Damian Pierce as a more likely rookie of the year candidate and while I get that about Pierce i I said, like, what I saw at Iowa State showed me a guy who could do it, but just wasn't asked to. And I think he's got really soft hands. I mean, he made some pretty impressive one-handed catches. We've seen that. We saw it in training camp, too. So he's a player that I'm very, very excited about. Segwaying with doing stuff that they weren't asked to do in college as we move on to the receivers here, which continue. Everyone had a pretty good week except for Jahan Dodson which really it was just the entire <laughs> Washington team, but, you know, enough on yeah. that. Um, Romeo Dubs was one of the names I brought up, I believe, last week when I said there's maybe a couple guys who can contribute outside of the first round, and we saw it for the first time from him. And when I talk about things we didn't see in college that he's doing, 
it's really just catching balls that aren't 20-plus yards downfield because that's kind of mm-hmm. what he was at Nevada. It was a lot of deep ball, possession catch. You know, he's not that fast, and it showed up in the testing. And then when you saw his measurements, I believe he's six. he might be 6'1", and you were like, oh, so this is a possession deep threat who's not fast and not tall. <laughs> I don't know if he should be drafted that highly. And Green Bay, uh, you know, to their credit, didn't really care because the production was there. And often with receivers, production is something that matters because sometimes it's difficult to understand why it's working. And I still am not completely certain, but what I will say is he has shown up, and with Aaron Rodgers, who I believe, if you put your trust in him as a receiver, will help you develop into a great player if you just do what he says, quite frankly, Mm. um, and do what the (laughs) offense asks you. He's just doing what they're asking him to do. He's finding the soft zones. He's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's presenting a body, and he is pretty great at the catch point, catching balls in traffic. Rodgers is giving him good opportunities, as he will. And he's just a solid weapon. Right now looks kind of like young Randall Cobb without the plus athleticism, you know? He's a guy out of the slot that will get open the middle on slants, crossing routes, will take advantage of a play-action offense as they're going to continue to be run heavy, I think, because they just... They don't have that explosive passing game right now where you can just continue to push the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be, I hate saying safety valve for a receiver, but that's what he is, you know, and nine yards a catch this past week, you know, could be better, but it's, it's consistency. I think they needed a guy to step up and just catch passes, you know, just, they needed something. And we saw the targets early weeks. He had a lot of targets the first two weeks. Didn't really turn into statistics that were eye-popping at all. And even this week, like, it's not awesome. It's 72 yards and eight catches. But that's good but, against the Bucks defense. Yes, that is good. That's true. Bucks defense has been excellent. But we needed to see steps in this Green Bay passing game. That was the worry. And this is not only a step for Dubs, but it's a step for their whole offense that they're, they have a guy who at least – is doing something for them. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Honestly, I was not a player that I paid particularly close attention to in the draft process, full disclosure. But after all the hype that was coming out of, around him in training camp, uh, I, I kind of paid attention to him in the preseason. And a lot of time that hype is for naught. Guys that either don't contribute at all early or just end up going on to be practice squad players. But he showed up in those those preseason games I thought he looked really good despite his perhaps limited athleticism he can run a go route on you he can stack you and and get open deep so I think you know there's a I think in, in talking about what you alluded to about sometimes you don't know why it works so you need the production with receivers there is such a feel aspect to it I mean you look at offensive linemen defensive linemen a lot of time it's it's very purely technique you know what I mean you get out of your stance in this way you keep your angle at this at this point you keep leverage here you don't lean like you can really kind of say here is how you win as a lineman or a defensive lineman I think for corner and wide receiver there is just a natural feel to it it's just knowing that exact moment where you can jam your foot in the ground make your break when that DB is just not quite balanced enough to roll with you you know what I mean there is there's something that I think isn't 
is not quantifiable. And it looks like he has it early. So I, I like him a lot as a rookie receiver too. Yep, and that chemistry between him and Rodgers building is important. We heard about that being a thing during training camp. That helps with the feel of timing on routes that I think has has helped. And, and again, keeping with what we said earlier, we didn't see him run a lot of underneath in Nevada. It was just kind of go routes, corner routes, posts, a lot of that. We're seeing it now, and he is capable of stacking, like you said, using leverage, footwork, not a whole lot of extra at the top of his routes, but just smooth. Nothing nothing special, but just good enough to get space and then settle in that space. And it's not something we saw on tape in Nevada, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean he's not capable, and he's mm-hmm. capable of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you got one or two more names you want to throw out there? Yeah, Devin Lloyd is defensive rookie of the year right now. Um, I don't... So Micah Parsons is the second best defensive player in the NFL right now, besides Aaron Donald. That guy's scary. He's probably going to sack Wentz five times this week. Um, hopefully we'll still win. I don't know how that's going to go, but maybe a 7-6 to six victory. This guy is not like Micah Parsons, but he's going, going to have a similar impact if he continues to play like he does, which is a high bar because he's been playing really, really well. Micah Parsons was this freak athlete, big linebacker who is going to line up everywhere and just run at the ball and just create chaos. Devin Lloyd is your Mike. Like, this is the linebacker everyone talks about is like, hey, uh, <laughs> you know, he can cover and do play well against the run and, and passers. Guess what? He's doing all of those things well immediately. He is the prototypical day one linebacking starter who is going to do everything for you and play in the middle of that defense and take advantage of opportunities that his corners and edge rushers set him up for. He's done everything for the Jaguars. You see the explosiveness off of, you know, a standing start in the run game as a pass rusher, and he's made plays downfield in coverage on tight ends, on slot receivers. This is a guy I had 11th overall on my board, linebacker one, and towards the end of the process, I felt, felt there was some prospect fatigue, and I was not as high on him because of that. And I was like, I don't, I don't know why, why aren't, why, why don't I feel as good about this guy? And I think the reason is early last year with Utah, you saw his best play and it kind of faded down the stretch. So let's hope that doesn't happen this year. I doubt there, it. There, there's something to be said now for him being in a defense that has explosive athletes around him because he's not required like he was at Utah to just be the the force in that defense. Mm-hmm. He at Utah it was he was the he was the the guy at the, the active player at the point of that defense. Like we need you mm-hmm. to, to play edge. Quite literally mm-hmm. they're asking him to play yep. edge. On third down, yeah. Doesn't need to do that at Jacksonville. He can kind of let everything else happen. Trevon Walker and Josh Allen have been great. They have rotational def- interior defenders who aren't brilliant but they have a rotation of guys who are nfl starter capable players and it works and they have a young secondary tyson campbell's been good andre cisco athlete working out a little bit syracuse we'll see if he continues to play better and so they just he can go do these kind of secondary uh, defensive what do we call this uh i don't want to say jobs but this they tell him to do roles and when he becomes the third option on a play in coverage or he needs to pass rush the, the quarterback as he escaped the pocket and he's a spy. Now you've got this just great athlete 
and dude who is so quick to get started and accelerate downfield that Jacksonville can use as kind of a finisher for defensive plays, and we've seen that early. And I think, you know, I'm not a fan of trading up for non-quarterbacks, especially like non-quarterbacks, which being in off-ball linebackers with that position's mm-hmm. value. But he looks like a hit right now for Jacksonville. Yeah, well, so I mean, throughout the process, he was very, very highly graded, and if I remember right that didn't really seem to change until after the testing because I don't think he had outstanding right. yes. testing. He didn't have that, that top end speed that people are looking for, but it, completely opposite of some of the other guys we were talking about. This is a guy who we literally saw do everything on tape in college. So he's got the outstanding length that you want from a guy uh, in, in pass coverage I mean, a lot of those guys who are really good in coverage as linebackers, it's not because they can actually match up, you know, change of direction with the elite running backs or the tight ends of, of the NFL. They have this length that lets them be close enough and then get their hand in there for pass breakups, you know, to not get jumped over by linebackers. He's got that. so And he's got the run and chase ability from the middle of the field. He's got the blitzing ability. He's got the straight up pass rushing ability. He's done all of it before we've seen it before and he was one of the highest rated guys in leadership like he was the leader of that defense the captain of the defense in Utah nothing but top-notch reviews on that front so it's almost like it with a guy like him it's almost like people are looking for a reason to bring him down a notch because people don't want to get too high on him and look bad as graders, as, as prospect evaluators when he comes out. That was the distinct feeling that I got from him, from, from people talking about him. They'd talk about all this stuff that was so great, but then they'd be like, you know, but he didn't run that fast. Or he's an off-ball linebacker. Like, they're looking for that one thing to bring him down. And I think even the people within the space were still surprised that he fell until 2027, 20, I think. So, I mean, he's been playing really, really well. Uh, I think everything on his tape in college said that he would be good eventually but you never know how fast it'll translate and obviously for him quite quickly and i will say really quick just before we go because we're trying to wrap this up i think thinking back now the difference between him and micah parsons is i think we see micah parsons and we go wow that doesn't happen very often i can't expect that we'll ever see that again and i think that was part of it because I, i do believe this guy has that level maybe not quite that but like close to that level of ability i compared him to Parsons when we're talking about him last draft, not mm-hmm. as a player, but just how he could be close if he works out. The difference being Micah Parsons was a highly touted recruit, knew it day one at Penn State. Like, this guy is legit. He's going to work in the NFL. Obvious hit and, and easy pickup. The, the issue with him was, like, off fields, and mm-hmm. clearly that hasn't become an issue. Devin Lloyd's a three-star recruit, whatever. I don't know. Let's see. He goes to Utah. You know, mm-hmm. they give 48 points in the Rose Bowl. We'll see what they do. Like, I I don't know what Devin Lloyd's going to be, and I don't want to sell all my chips on a linebacker when linebacker's mm-hmm. a position that's getting roasted in the NFL. Pack 12, yeah. You know, and it's just, it, who who wants to put all their chips in the center on a guy who who is not Micah Parsons, quite frankly? <laughs> yeah. And yep. so far he has shown you why you put your chips in on a guy who has shown everything and continues mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just he didn't have elite testing, but it's not like he had bad testing. I think yeah. people just expected more because of how quickly he plays, how fast he plays on tape. 
And I think a similar thing that we saw to, to Kyle Hamilton, where the expectations were based off of um, knowledge of the game combined with physical traits to make big plays, looks very fast out there. You put him just on a straight line with a timer, maybe not quite as much. But when you get to the NFL, once again, you're not running straight line with a timer. You're using your football knowledge and your ability to, to make plays quickly. So I think this was an awesome list, guys, that I'm, I'm really glad we had the chance to talk about. I, I, all I can say personally is I hope that the Jets can rely more and more and more on these rookies because they clearly... They clearly need it. Uh, they've had good good games, bad games, up and down in a way that I would prefer some consistency from. And I want to give a shout-out to your guy, Jahan Dotson, real quick, because I don't think it's his fault. I really don't. I, I think Carson Wentz could not get the ball off. He got absolutely just steamrolled by that defense, uh, by the defensive line of the Eagle, Eagles. And I'm a little concerned that that's going to happen to him again this week. So... Uh, he's going up against another good one. So I don't know if the stats will be there for Jahan Dotson, but we, we see those hands on tape. We talked about him before the season as well. Catches everything. Everything that's even remotely close to him, he pulls it in. And and um, I'm, I'm excited for him, for his career. So <laughs> I do want to give, give your guy a little bit of props before we get out of here. All right, so we will be back very shortly with our 2023 prospects. All right, we're back with Nick. And of course, we have with us Owen McCuller to talk a little bit about the 2023 prospects. Now, college football season is unfolding before our very eyes. We're getting a better look at some of these kids who are coming into the league next year or more than likely coming into the league. And I want to get your guys feedback on who you think is moved up a little bit, maybe moved down a little bit, somebody enticing perhaps that you are, uh, you're not sure where they'll fall at the end of the year, but has caught your eye. So, you know me, I want to throw it to you guys for this particular segment. Nick, I'm going to let you lead off. Who do you want to throw into the fire first? So we picked some players today. We're not just going to do a whole quarterback dive in, but uh, one guy who I think we haven't mentioned on this pod and played well this week, albeit not dominant, just good, and had a rough year last year with a lot of hype, is DJ Uyunglele, who whose name I've been working on. Um, because <laughs> I, I did not do well with that earlier this summer. He is physically up there with just about anybody um, in college football as a quarterback right now. Now, you're not going to get the superior mobility, but he is a long strider, and he's, I believe, listed as 250. I have him at 245 on Clemson's website. So anytime you get a guy who's that big and can move a little bit, there is some intrigue in terms of that, but really the intrigue in, mostly for him is the arm talent. This is a guy that we have video of him throwing a ball, you know, 90 yards in the fly off a goalpost. He is, he is a specimen, let's just say, in terms of the physical tools. And in one game two years ago against Notre Dame, he played very well. A lot of hype coming into last year. A lot of people expecting him to be one of the top QBs in this draft class. And he did not play well. There was a lot of off-script troubles. Throw selection was an issue. Mechanically, he was hanging on his back leg a lot. Um, just not a great season for Clemson as a whole. And it kind of started with his inconsistency. Some people called it the yips with him where he just, you know, you'd see a great accurate throw. And then he would just have these misses where it's like, you know where he's trying to throw the ball and it's just not even close. Like it's, you know, it's in 10, 10 rows into the stance. 
Um, mm-hmm. This year, I wouldn't say he's been dominant, but he has made a lot of steps forward. And I think at this rate, if he continues to get, get better as the year goes on and Clemson makes the playoff, he's going to be in a tier of quarterbacks that's to be selected after kind of the top three, two, three guys we've discussed on this podcast because of the physical tools. And I think potentially people chalking up last year as kind of just a rough season where I think he bought into the hype a little bit too much and he's now settled down and you're seeing the throw selections better against Wake Forest. He threw a lot of jump balls, which were kind of, you know, whatever, but there was a nice change up where you would see him throw the right pass for the right particular throw where you can, you know, obviously he has the rocket arm talent where he can throw that line drive, but also the touch pass has kind of been a struggle for him and it's coming along nicely. Now we've seen a couple of these fade throws outside balls from him that have been accurate that are different and he's doing better with decision-making in terms of what type of throw he's going to use. He is not quite fully stepping into his throws now, but he's doing a better job than he was before. And I thought off script troubles didn't happen as much because he had really good protection that game against Wake Forest but he was very, very fine just staying calm in the pocket. There are plays where he makes great throws where he stands in the pocket for like seven seconds. And that may seem easy from a you know more casual audience, but with a guy who's younger, who's had trouble playing off script, and especially just college quarterbacks in general, it is to a degree impressive to have that trust to stand in the pocket for that long and still step up and make a throw. And he did that multiple times this weekend against Wake Forest. And I think it deserves some recognition. Yeah. I, uh, I think that what a lot of people thought of was from, from last year, he came in with such hype because it was like, they're coming off of Trevor Lawrence and they're trying to see if there's going to be that big of a drop off between their franchise level quarterback who was there for two seasons, led him to the national championship game. And then they're trying to say, okay, how far of a drop off is this guy from Trevor? And then he plays the game one against Georgia, which had one of the best defenses a college football's ever seen with so many first round, you know, defenders, things like that, that I think he didn't play all the well, all that well in that first game. And that was people's, a lot of people's first like real introduction to him, that they got this sense that he isn't that kind of guy. Not only is because he's came, come on, coming after one of the better quarterbacks they've had, but also because he ran into the most difficult challenge he was going to play all year uh, in Georgia. So he started off on the wrong foot, and then people just kind of didn't stick with him, and all the attention went to, like, Kenny Pickett in the ACC. And then coming into this season, people were already down on him as opposed to coming into the season with hype as they did the year prior. So I think in the Wake Forest game especially, because it was a, a high-scoring game, went to double overtime, I think he led them well as, as like a leader on the field. He showed up in, the, in like a, big, a kind of big game for them because I believe they are ACC opponents. And Wake Forest isn't a pushover. They've got real NFL talent on their team. So he showed up against a, the defense and against a team in general that was going to push him and did push him to uh, an extended period game. And he was able to come and make the plays that count and walk out with a win uh, from that game. Yeah, yeah, and it's big game for for Clemson, obviously, and they needed it in that division where I think just looking at this opening few weeks, I know we talked about Miami on the last one, which they haven't had the best start, but the ACC, I forget which division it is, I don't know if it's Coastal or Atlantic, that Clemson's in looks way better than we thought because Lake Forest obviously has showed up and played well. Florida State's off to a good start. Um, NC State is now a top-10 team. That's a big game this weekend. They still have games against... Pittsburgh, uh, do they play Pittsburgh? I don't know if they do, but they play Syracuse, who um, 
Syracuse, I don't know if they're good, but you know they, they're undefeated and they might push them. We'll see. I, I'm a little holding out on that one, but uh, I don't think that's maybe going to be a close game. But the ACC looks better than we thought. Um, and Clemson is going to have some big – they still have Notre Dame on the schedule, I believe. This was maybe the toughest game left remaining. I don't quite – I mean, I know they played South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, like, randomly has a good game against them. I don't know. SEC talent could be different. It's not a pushover schedule. They're going to have to win some big games. And early on, I feel it is harder, especially when you're a team that I think is expected to make the playoff by a lot of people, but maybe not win a playoff game, to kind of overlook some of these games that are like, oh, you know, we know late season, all every game's going to matter. This is this was a tough one on the road. They put up 51 points. CJ hung in there, and it's a good start for a a refurbishing of his draft stock. Yeah, excellent way to put that. I like that. Re- refurbishing is, is nice because it makes sense. And you know what? Coming in after Trevor Lawrence has got to be one of the hardest situations for anybody. It's like being the Stanford quarterback after Andrew Luck. It's like, you know, no matter what kind of kind of prospect you are, what kind of recruit you are, like everybody just expects you to be worse. Or maybe a lot of fans are unrealistically hoping for you to be as good or better. So it's, it's a tough situation, but it's good to see him bouncing back. All right, so who else do we want to talk about today? Yes, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins on this one. Uh, I wanted to discuss somebody whose season's actually over now after this past week, but uh, wide receiver Anaya Smith from Texas A&M. Uh, he was on my radar last year because I thought maybe he would come out in 2021. He was So I watched him as 2020 tape. He was originally a running back, kind of like the receiving back to Isaiah Spiller's power. And... In 2021, they started running with Spiller, and then their backup was, uh, I think I think it's Connie, Achani, something like that. The, one that. the current running back for Texas A&M was their backup. So he switched primarily from being a receiving back to more of a slot receiver type. And he the reason he was the, the lightning to Isaiah Spiller's thunder is because he has that home run speed. He had the ability to make quick cuts and burst out of there and get up to top speeds and outrun DBs who are going to be around his same size. I think he's 5'10", 190. So there's some of those DBs that are going to be the same size, but he's much faster than them. And he was already used heavily in their passing game. They'd run a lot of two-back sets and then just flex him out to the uh, slot. So he just made the full transition there. And looking back, I was watching the game against Arkansas, and he broke broke a bone in his lower leg. He's already had surgery, and and it's all successful. And depending on the healing time, he might be back for off-season workouts uh, and maybe even pre-draft stuff, uh, depending on how severe of a break it was. So I was watching this. I watched this film just to get like a total wrap up because like, okay, this is the final tape he's going to put on there. So I watched last week and then I went back and watched the rest of his games from this previous season. And not only is he one of those guys who as a slot receiver, you can like give him bubble screens and give him passes down the field, have him stretch the seam kind of thing because he has that kind of speed. He is a deceptively good route runner. Like the, the agility he had when he would make cuts as a ball carrier translates into when he's not having the ball in his hands. And he's able to do those in and out option cuts that you want a traditional slot receiver to do, but also brings speed, burst, and ability with the ball in his hands that some of these more gadget-type slots will bring. So he's like a good combination. The only thing that's going to hold him back is now the leg injury, but if he can recover from that well, it's not like a ligament damage. It was just straight up just a bone break. So I feel like that should impact his agility or speed as much as like a ligament damage or a ligament injury would, like an ACL. Uh, the only thing I really I have big question marks on is his physicality. 
not in the run blocking specifically because he is a really good he's like a really competitive blocker despite being a smaller guy he gets really chippy with like bigger dbs or linebackers in the box but when he's in his route itself if he gets interrupted at the stem he can be rerouted pretty easily so like if he's trying to attack like the seam or do like a deep post a linebacker or a safety can get their hands on him and reroute him inside more and get him out of there or there was a play against App State where it was late into that game. They needed a clutch third down. He was supposed to run like a skinny post slant kind of route. And the linebacker just gave him a good chip on the on the, at the stem of it where he was gonna make, supposed to make his in-break. The, the DB fell down. So if he got the ball, he would have been able to probably run off for a touchdown. But because it disrupted him so much, it threw off their timing. The ball was behind them. They weren't able to make the completion. And it was like third or fourth down after that. And Texas A&M ended up losing that game to App State. So... It was. It's kind of those things, and it also happens at the line of scrimmage when he gets jammed. He can get rerouted or he gets distracted and is trying to get separation. If he doesn't get the immediate separation um, by just beating him off the line, he's not going to be able to separate as well, and he doesn't have that great release package. So I think he's going to get tight cast as a slot at the NFL, but at the same time, he does bring both of what you want from different, two different types of slot, which is a deep threat or a run-after-the-catch guy with like good athleticism and also a dude who can work well uh, with short area routes and is smart knowing where to sit in zones and how to get first downs and be the quarterback's like security blanket kind of thing. Our ex boomer bust guy, uh, Tate Sigworth was a huge fan of Anaya Smith. Um, as a, we see, we've seen all these slot gadget types kind of come out lately. He, he to me is kind of a Wandale Robinson type. I'm excited. Whenever I see a player like this, Rondale Moore is my favorite prospect ever. Probably always will be. I'm a huge Rondale Moore fan. Uh, the injury to me, a little concerning when physicality matters, but he has produced on and off here at an interesting chip, and Texas A&M certainly relies on him for their offense to be explosive. He's been a big piece for them, not just as a pass catcher, but also a runner. And in the return game, he he's a fun one, and I think he's a guy whose the draft process will matter a lot for him just because how A&M's offense has produced over the past couple of years, even within there and the chain there, if he shows up and plays well at the senior bowl, or I don't even know if he's going to be a senior, so all-star game, whatever that is, and then combines well, he could really see a rise in his draft stock. I will comment just briefly on him because I think it it does him, it did him a lot of, of favors to switch his position effectively. I mean, first of all, when A-Chain is, you know, in the wings there, you're not going to keep the speed back roll, right? Like, that, that's just, that's not yours anymore. So he was able to effectively switch to that slot receiver Role And I think NFL teams are always going to be interested in guys that are able to move from one position to another, embrace that, and and it, it just shows a level of versatility. It makes them think that you might be able to do stuff in the NFL that you haven't done in college. There's just like a little indication there. So I like that. I made a mistake. Uh, I, I don't even know why I just mentioned the off-season stuff, but... What is this a full? Do we know if this was a compound fracture or just a normal fracture? What was the um, timeline? There wasn't. Injury? There wasn't any like official release statement. They just said it was a it was a lower body. Texas A and M itself has said it was a lower body injury that's going to be out for the season. His father, I believe it was, was the one that said he had a break in his leg. And recently he tw he tweeted or posted on Instagram something about how he had just gotten out of successful surgery. So it's kind of, it's kind of amb some ambiguity around what the actual injury is right now as far as I've seen. I, I checked last I checked on it was last night. Um, so I, didn't, I couldn't find anything concrete on what the actual injury was. But as far as I know, it's a break somewhere in his lower leg. Uh, maybe like a, I don't think it's a full like a big time femur 
kind of uh, injury, but I think it's more of a uh, like a lower shin, like maybe a broken shin or something like that. Something something a lower leg. It's definitely a break, not like a tear. And I think with yeah, what? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just think that if, depending on what what kind of break it was, um, he might be able to come back because the the combine is in February, which is like what five months from now. I think he should be able to come back for that from this from any kind of injury like that as long as it's not like an acl tear which is usually a year yeah all-star games maybe not um five months is doable with surgery on a broken bone depending on the severity i mean they're talking about right now trey lance hypothetically like if they make the playoffs could technically play but that 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 that's about as severe of a broken bone although when you dislocate your ankle it's a little different so uh, that's one we just i don't know we don't have the info on it says he got rolled up mm -hmm. on that could be a lot of different things. So that'll be dependent. Tough time to get injured, but he mm -hmm. certainly has been on radars for more than a year, which helps his stock, I think, for certain. Mm -hmm. All right, let's hit one more before uh, we roll out here. Probably have time for one more. Maybe sneak a couple of names in to watch. All right, well, we both had a running back on our list, so we could probably just talk about that really quick. Um Mo Ibrahim is him. He this guy is rolling right now for for Minnesota. He just that team to me is one of the most underrated teams in college football. Their defense is playing awesome. Tanner Morgan has played pretty well. I don't know if that continues because we've seen this from Tanner Morgan in the past where he starts out great and then he's whatever toward the, for the rest of the year. But this is my prototypical running back that I just love to see. 5'10, 210 pound guy who just downhill thumper commits hard to holes has terrific balance and will just run through you and then when you're he's in contact i want the back who's going to keep you know driving his legs and pick up an extra four yards through contact and he has just he's had 100 yards in every game they've played this year they've had 20 plus carries from every game they've played this year he had such a great game against ohio state to start out two years ago uh and then popped his achilles on tv that that was really unfortunate to see because his uh, his play alone in that game almost gave him a chance to upset an Ohio State team that was far superior. And he's giving them a chance again here, I think, to contend. That, I don't know where he lands on this because he's been in college for a very long time. He's got a lot of tread. He's, you know, this is either year five or six for him, so he's older. And, you know, that, that we always talk about running backs getting out too many carries maybe and how their bodies break down faster than almost any other position but he has continued to just be dominant for them. And I can't imagine that he won't be in discussions for at least a day two pick because of that. If he continues to like barring another injury, but it's just very clear that he is Minnesota's best player on offense and they are just running through him right now. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been able to catch as much of him as I wanted to. I saw him against Ohio state that game that you're talking about when they were keeping stride with them. I also, I, I saw a little bit because I know I've been hearing talks about, I think it's their Minnesota center, uh, Schmitz or Mike, it's John Michael. It's, it's like a compound last name, but Schmitz is the, like, I think one of them. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot of good stuff about him. So I caught a couple, I was flipping over and I caught a couple of plays from him uh, this past week. But yeah, especially with what happened with him in Ohio State against some of the higher level competition he's going to face every year um in the Big Ten, that it's going to, he definitely performed there. And despite his injury, I just think, you say he might be a day two pick, and I think skill level he should be. But the fact that he's such an older prospect, as well as having injury concerns at that position, some people might be scared and they might take him off of their board all entirely because age plus injury is never really the best for a running back in any case and scenario, especially when they're first coming into the NFL itself. Uh, yeah, 
No, I agree with that. Um, and we'll just have to see. I mean, this is kind of sucks. Some of these players, sometimes it's just about how the masses of scouts decides how good they are. They, and this is the type of guy that, depending on whether other people fall in love with him or not, could go second round and could go sixth, seventh round. So, I, I, you know, we'll see. Uh, did you want to talk about Blake Corn really quick? Because I know you had him down and he's playing really well. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly run through uh, Blake Corum. Uh, I was watching the Michigan-Maryland game uh, as well, and then I kept, as I said, I was flipping through a couple games. And once I finally got to the end of that game, I checked the stat line and realized I missed a lot because he ran for 30, uh, 30 rushes for, like, 243 yards. And you would think when I was watching it back, I was watching tape, I was like, there's got to be, like, a big run here or two that, like, really boosted these numbers. But, like, outside of, like, maybe, a, like, a 30-yard carry or so, he was super consistent getting five to six yards of pop. He's on the smaller side. He's around 5'8", 200, 205. So he's not going to be that kind of bruising back. But at the same time, I think he brings a lot to the table that a lot of smaller backs don't bring. Like, he has the speed and the quickness that smaller backs are usually typically known for. But when he got piled up on, like, there was a – he gets trying to kind of get single tackled. He's able to keep his legs driving and get through piles. Um he is very thick. Like he's low to the ground and thick. So like guys come and try to tackle him high up with their arm, like going through arm tackles. He just runs right through him. He's not the most like elusive in the open field, but he doesn't fear the contact either. So that's something that a lot of guys who their main characteristic is speed is kind of uh, indicative of when they play. They're trying to avoid contact just to kind of get those big plays. Uh, and the biggest question mark a lot of people have is in his pass protection. Because they use they Michigan isn't the best at using the running backs in the pass game, but he is kind of their exception. They'll flex him out to the slot and such. So he's not typically sitting in and being used as a pass protector. But he had like two reps I could count that were like he had genuinely had to one on one block a dude in pass protection, and he performed perfectly in both of them. So I feel like it's just a lack of volume for his biggest negative in this game. So I think if they were able to get him that more, if they were able to find more tape of it on t- on more of it on tape you'll be able to eliminate that. And the only thing that will be limiting him is his size at this point. Yeah, the pass protection thing, he limited snaps there, obviously, because he gets lined up outside. But I had written down from last year, clearly the lateral mobility is there. He can slide, and he invites the contact. He's not afraid of it. Sometimes you see running backs shy away from it. So I think he is in a good place if he gets more reps to put that on film, that he's doing well there. Yeah, yeah, I I like him. I think anytime you can get a smaller player that has really good contact balance and is in and functions well at the point of contact, it does a lot for him. It's gonna you have to be careful about not inviting that contact too much at the NFL level because it is gonna be a different animal, but but still it it does make his value notably higher. You see that in a guy like Michael Carter, kind of a similar player, probably not quite as overall explosive but does a lot in the pass game and is able to stay on the field and be effective because of that contact balance. I think there's some similar characteristics there. All right, guys, I appreciate you both very much for coming on and doing this today. We'll have you on again next Thursday, although with the way that this feed is operating, this might come out Friday, Friday but let everybody know where they can find you. Nick, go first. and uh, Yeah, uh, really just on Twitter right now, at Nick with Sports. You can check out Boomer Bust the Draft Show on YouTube for some preseason draft things. We have some playing, covering some players that have that have been kind of in draft circles. Some of them maybe have fallen off, we'll see. Um, and then please give Sports Info Solutions a follow and SIS underscore football on Twitter as well as we're putting out all sorts of discoveries and stuff on that all the time because that's what I'm in right now, data collection, and we have – New data every week to find new trends going on in the league that 
you know, we just learn so much every year. So it's it's exciting to see these games get played and then what our takeaways can be, which almost always there's some big takeaway from a season. And this year we're still trying to figure it out, but so far we've had some fun stuff. So we'll see. I mean, we've got two quarterbacks right now, Hurts and Tua, that I don't think anyone expected to be in the MVP race, and they already are. So that's fun. Yeah, so uh, you can find me. I'm posting a lot more now on my on the Weekly Huddle YouTube channel. Uh, like I said, with Anaya Smith, I've made uh, two videos recently, uh, recently covering prospects who had season-ending injuries, and now we have all their tape that we're going to have on them, and Christian Mahogany, the guard from Boston College, and Jordan Strachan, or Strachan uh, from South Carolina, formerly of Georgia State. Uh, I should have an Anaya Smith one coming out within the next day or two, and then I'm moving on to guys like Jalen Catalan and other dudes who will be coming out in 23 draft most likely who have season-ending injuries. So I'm pumping those out. I'm hoping to get some more content on there, and I'm also on Twitter at the Week of Huddle. Uh, so yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm active on both of them. Any uh, any suggestions or anything like that, I'm open for. So find me there. Right on, guys. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our Week 4 Draft episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean, and you can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. The Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Now, I do know that the release times of these has been pretty weird, sometimes even a day late, and we're working on it. It's an issue with our server and the feed, so frustrating, but we're undergoing some changes here. Please bear with us on that front. Things should be back to normal pretty soon. That being said, you'll be able to find our show tomorrow where we will cover some news, the Thursday night game, and of course, pick every single Sunday football game against the spread for the NFL. Please rate, review, subscribe anywhere that you listen. We really, truly do appreciate that as we continue to grow here. And we will see you all very soon.